must not go back to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. That help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. I'm your host, Dan. We are back again with another great chapter in Chamber of Secrets, The Rogue Bludger. And I have Anna again back with us. Hey! So we were just talking in our kind of pre-production meeting of how much play Lockhart is getting early so in this book. Much. I, we're not even early in this book. We're across the halfway point yeah. now, which is kind of crazy to think about, too. It is, yeah. Um, it's flying by. But, uh, yeah, he's getting a lot of play. We're seeing a lot of Lockhart. And we were talking about kind of the differences between him and, and Quirrell being like the Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers and how much Spotlight One is getting. Granted, he's literally grabbing the spotlight yes, and, and shoving it onto himself. himself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where Quirrell was not doing that for obvious reasons. <laughs> but anyway, we start this off in Lockhart's classroom. And. Uh, which I actually have so many questions about what he's doing in that classroom in that scene, but continue. I want these questions. Okay. Well, like, yeah, no, in a moment. It's fine. Well, I, I, the thing that I just laughed at right off the bat was no live creatures in Lockhart's <laughs> class <laughs> since the pixie fiasco. probably very happy about. Yeah. Um, unless you're going to have Hermione teach the class, <laughs> just be done with it at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go ahead with your questions because I'm going to well, go. Well, okay. So when they say no more live animals, they talk about these reenactments he's doing. Yes. <laughs> and the one they open with is Wagga Wagga Werewolf. Uh, and it sounds like, it sounds fake. It, it does sound sounds fake. completely made up. But like he wrote an entire book about it, wandering with werewolves, and he talks about this amorphous charm, right? That. He helped deliver the village from monthly attacks. And like, okay, my questions. I have spoiler thoughts on that whole story. I know. Actually, now that I've brought up, I'm realizing my questions are very spoilery. Werewolves are dangerous. Uh, Werewolves are dangerous. (laughs) And how he's describing he subdued this werewolf just has me questioning everything. Right. Like, he can really hold it down with one hand and not get bitten. And I thought werewolf bites are supposed to be incurable. So, like, what is this magical charm that, like, all of a sudden made him not be a werewolf anymore and turned him in... To a human and delivered the village from monthly attacks. Why isn't every single werewolf out there volunteering to have this charm put on them? It sounds like he just transfigured it. But I feel like, again, like, same question. Like, why, when faced with a werewolf, is this not a more typical thing to not have a, not happen? Not a monthly treatment to yeah. have happen? Yeah. Like, I don't, I just, yep. I don't. Like, well, I, I would think it's made up. How dare you nitpick the legendary accomplishments of such a wonderful human being and teacher? Yeah. How dare you? But, like, but somebody must have... Uh, whatever. Yeah. So, if you want, we can, get, yeah, we can get into the spoilers. It's fine. Clearly I'm annoyed by the whole amorphous charm, but it's not a great thing. No, Similar but I think a lot, of the question, lines, so. a lot of the questions you're raising, though, I have similar questions yeah. 
of just like how is that the immensely complex right. yet simple spell while I'm holding down a weird but He let out a, a high wine. Go go ahead, Harry, let out the wine. <laughs> Oh my god, he's awful. He's so awful. I can only... Um, if only the students had phones... <laughs> yes. Yeah. And just be like, <laughs> Harry's on Would TikTok now. <laughs> like to see the look on Harry's face as he was having to portray all of these different things. Where's Colin Creevy when you need him? Seriously. <laughs> when he had to portray the simple villager. <laughs> oh god. Uh, okay. That's funny. Uh, anyway. Um, skipping ahead. The whole reason Harry was playing along in these classes was to get the good graces of Lockhart and to get the signature that Hermione so obviously covets. I know, I loved that scene. <laughs> and, uh... Just rips it out of her hand. <laughs> and, anyway, so they go into this, um, restricted section of the library, uh, and we meet, I, is this the first time we meet Madame Pince? No, she kicked Harry out of the library and Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, okay. Because I feel like this is When like... he was wandering oh. towards the restricted section. So do we just get like a reintroduction to her? Because I feel like they describe her as vulture-like and things like that. Did we just get a re- Yeah, but I feel like that kind of happens a lot in this book. That's I fair. feel like she still gives us a little bit of an introduction. Anyway, they're in there to get a book on potions because Hermione had this idea of Polyjuice Potion, because she's the only one that pays attention in Snape's class. True. Uh, do we have anything better to do than to listen to Snape? <laughs> well, apparently he's actually doing a job of teaching, so you might want to at some point. Anyway. Oh, God. So she picks this up from, shockingly, class. Um, and she begrudgingly turns over the signed note from Lockhart. And... They go over this plan, and she realizes how complicated this potion is. And for once, I've said numerous times, like, oh my gosh, Ron, you're being an idiot. Or Harry, you're being an idiot. Thank goodness Hermione is there to kind of just keep everybody on the right straight and narrow. Well, uh, roles reversed this time. (laughs) Where Hermione's taking the bold, brash, aggressive tactic, and both Ron and Harry are like, whoa, just a second. This is dangerous. You really think that this is a lot of stealing, Hermione. (laughs) But to Hermione's credit, and I think this is a lot of depth to the scene, Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think it's necessarily written in the best way to illustrate it. but there's reasons for why she's being so brash about this. And there's reasons for why she's mm. feeling so much the way she is. It's because she's legitimately scared yeah. that she she's might be attacked. She's got skin in the game. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's really written well enough to really like clearly state that. No, it's definitely not. Uh, not I didn't not really attacking JK's that. writing or anything. But... It doesn't, you really have to read into it to understand why she's so vehemently going for this plan. Yeah. I mean, I even thought I was more thinking of it as like, 
was this really the only plan she could come up with to find out about Malfoy or would she did she just really want the challenge of creating the polyjuice potion that's what I was saying but when you're right she just is not nor should she be thinking rationally she just wants to get this done she pulls uh she's Harry from book one yeah. of like this is me. This is my history. This yeah. is like meaningful to me. Exactly. You guys don't get it. Why she I want to do this be so bad. leading the charge in this one. It's, yeah, absolutely. So it's like, it, it's a role, role, role reversal, but it's an understandable one when you get the motivations for it, yeah. uh, which weren't made super, super clear, but you can infer. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so they hatched that plan and of all places, <laughs> that wonderful moaning myrtle dilapidated bathroom. Um, and then this chapter is called The Rogue Bludger. Yes. So you would stand to think that there is some Quidditch to be played. I love Oliver Wood. <laughs> I love him so much, Dan. You got on me off the recording for almost insulting Oliver Wood. I Not insulting. Almost insulting Oliver yeah. Wood. I, th- I think my phrase was, you are coming dangerously close to insulting Oliver Wood. And I'm like, I feel it was a fair <laughs> criticism. No, there is no criticism of Oliver Wood. Catch the... T- I'm sorry, I can't even say it. Catch the snitch or die trying. What a stupid thing to tell him. I mean... <laughs> I love him so much. Oh, sorry, yes. Um... It's a big Quidditch match. Also, it's a cold start, because we're, like, yeah. deep into the semester at this point. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> a hint of thunder in the air, which is, like... There's so much to this chapter. So my day-to-day job as a athletic trainer is <laughs> monitoring sports at a school and helping with any healthcare issues. So I... I'm triggered by this chapter in many ways. I'm, yeah, that, yeah. You're on brooms in the air in the middle of a field, and there's thunder in the air. Don't forget about the goalposts. And yeah. This seems like a poor choice, and the snitch is metal. Yeah. This seems like a bad idea. <laughs> Someone's probably going to get hurt. Not to mention the sport in itself is just dangerous. I digress. And I'll get back to it with some Madame Pomfrey-isms later. But, yeah. Um, But, anyway, the course of the uh, Quidditch match is going on, and it's a big one. It's Gryffindor-Slytherin, because of course it is. It's, you need to... It's either going to start the season or end the season. There is no other time for Gryffindor. Whatever the plot needs, that's where the tension will be. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm very. I'm being very aggressive towards J.K.'s writing right now, and I don't mean to be. But anyway, um, so yeah, right off the get go, uh, something obviously goes wrong with one of the bludgers, which made me think. I guess it's always technically attracted to hitting people, mm-hmm. just not normally the same person over and over and over again. Well, yeah, and I think one of the twins says it. Its usual goal is just hit as many people, people as, as possible. possible. It's yeah. not supposed to be drawn to one. Step. Yeah. So I, I guess I never thought of it like I'd always literally thought of it as just beaters hitting the bludger like back and yeah. forth, targeting people. True, yeah. 
but I never really considered it the bludger just being like, I'm hitting whoever's closest to me, I don't care. Um, which I guess is how it's at least somewhat portrayed here. Yeah. And then, um, obviously there's reasonings for why the bludger is being particularly aggressive towards Harry. Yes. So we'll get there in a second. Um, but he hesitates for a second with, uh, while seeing the snitch and not wanting to give away the snitch's position with Malfoy because it's right next to his left ear. Um, and he's too busy dancing at, or laughing at Potter seemingly like Dream dancing. Ballet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is one of the greater quotes. It I, really is. I, Training for the ballet, Potter. It's just, I can hear Tom yeah, Felton ringing too. in my head for all time. And it's just great. Um, <laughs> glad Flint didn't get that line or something like random like that. At least Malfoy got the yeah, right line. Yeah, nobody else could have said that line but Tom Felton. <laughs> it was done so well. Uh, anyway. Um, so in that split second, he gets hit by the bludger, gets almost knocked off the broom, has his wits together to at least make a dart towards Malfoy, who assumes he's just coming to attack him, which is probably a fair assumption. Yeah, I think so. Uh, long story short, he aggressively comes to the ground, and when he comes to, he sees, I believe he says he the sees... teeth. Yes. I love it. Oh, no. That's a you. great description. I will credit J.K. Ra- uh, Rowling's writing right here. Great writing there. Absolutely. Loved it. Yes. And his words are, oh, no, not you. <laughs> Just from the hint of teeth. The... <laughs> The blunt honesty and the I don't care at all anymore. Well, that's hairy for you, really. Yeah, it really is. I love that. There's a couple of good quotes in this chapter. Um, But yeah, the oh no, (laughs) not you always gets me. Um, But Lockhart tries to put this thing back. And this is another thing I go back to the, the scene in the movie all the time. Just with the wonderful practical effect of mm. the rubbery arm. Yeah. I I am one of those people, obviously, again, for my profession, I see injuries all the time. And I have no problems seeing someone else be injured. But my reaction as, like, Harry, if that happened to me, and I see my arm just, like, A, sticking at the position that it was, because he says it was sticking at a weird angle. Yeah. And then to not see it sticking anywhere, but just being like a rubber. Well, and I'd be able to even feel it, and like I'd pass tried. out too. Yeah, I really would. Yeah, it would it would freak me out to know it. Oh, yeah. But as always, I emphasize um, I empathize with Madame Pomfrey, and the line "You should have come straight to me." I have uttered those exact words. So many times in my career, from kids doing stupid things or parents doing the wrong thing or coaches trying to do something and doing the wrong thing. I'm like, no, come see me. And this could have been fixed a long time ago, but you just didn't. And now we're in bigger trouble than we were to begin with. Change your nameplate at school to Madame Pomfrey. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, But no, I, I, I get it. I get it, Pomfrey. I understand your struggle, and I get you. Um, well, and I think it also, she could be shown, like, she's a very, like, no-nonsense nurse, mm-hmm. but 
having nurses in my family, nurses who I love very much, I feel like she feels for Harry. Like, she can't emphasize enough that he's in for a rough night. And she just knows if he had come straight to her, she could have fixed it so easily. And now she's going to have to watch this little poor 12-year-old boy who's already lived such a life regrow bones. How is that even a thing? Can you imagine just, like... Oh, like how the description that Harry has of it is like splinters yeah. in his arm. Yeah, being the splinters being the bones that slowly get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's a very vivid image, which you know I I yeah, it's crazy. But you know I I right there with you. She does have an interesting line though about how she's like begrudgingly saying half under her breath of like these teachers. Like, I just can't stand these teachers. And she says teachers, plural, vaguely. Obviously, I'm sure Lockhart accounts for the vast majority of potential, like, mishaps of, like, trying to do something you probably don't have the skill to do. Currently, who knows what Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers she's dealt with That, but it does make you wonder, does anything, like, does McGonagall accidentally do something that she can't take back? Or Snape? Or... Like, or Flitwick, or anything like that, where it's just like, Dude, Snape probably isn't even by mistake. It's probably just him, you know, <laughs> bullying That's children. probably true. That's probably true. Uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you, you want to add this ingredient here and stir clockwise three times. <laughs> I'm just going to stand over there and yeah. watch. Yep. Yeah. Neville's pot explodes again. No, but I just wonder, since she's so vague with it, like, I wonder, I'm assuming... The mishaps are, like, students making a mistake that the teachers probably aren't, like, watching close enough to, like, correct or fix or whatever. And then they get sent to her and she's just like, oh, my God, these teachers. Like, I can't put up with these teachers anymore. I'm assuming that's more of what it is because I have a lot of respect for those three teachers. Say what you will about Snape. I think he's a good potions master. So he knows potions. Even if he's trying to torture them by <laughs> purposefully giving them the wrong instruction. I'm just going to sit here quietly. I know. We've had the discussion on the last episode about <laughs> Percy versus Snape. Well, whatever. It's a debate for another day. Sounds good. Um, but after all of that with Pomfrey, <laughs> we get to the Dobby of it all. Oh, favorite. We had the Myrtle of it all last chapter, and now we have the Dobby of it all. Um, which is another kind of sad character, at least right oh, yeah. now, as we're seeing him. Particularly is... in this book. I think I yeah. forgot how sad Dobie is. And so, again, casual sad darkness. Yeah, Dobby's used to death threats. Yeah. He gets them five times a day. That's horribly, like, I... And the, the, here's the thing. Harry saying that is just out of pure anger, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to kill you right now. Right. Dobby's family means it. Yeah. So that would be, and I guess I would be the same thing of, and Dobby seems to be at this point of just like, yeah, that's my day. Like, I'm just kind of numb to it and it just happens and it is what it is. Well, I mean, he's beating himself with bottles of Skelligro. He's... Still has his hands bandaged from when he had to iron them two months ago, a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. 
Like, he just, yeah. Everyday cruelty. We do learn a lot about Dobby's situation, though, in this yeah. conversation. Uh, we, but house elves in general. Yeah. And how they're freed if they're presented with clothes by their master, which <laughs> I could see house elves getting, like, trying to manipulate this as best they can. Like, what what counts as master? Is it, like, quote-unquote, head of the household? Well, that's a good question. Is it, like, owner of the house? Right. Or is it owner of the house elf? Or is it any member of the family? family. Yeah. Because if I was Dobby and I see little baby Draco with a sock, <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> Trying to, trying to yoink that thing out of his hand and did be like, I have a sock. Hand it to me. Yep. Like before, before Lucius can get in and be like, Draco, this is how we treat the help. <laughs> and Dobby just trying to be like, give me that sock, kid. No, no, it's mine. It's mine. <laughs> yep. Oh, God, that's hilarious. Yeah, Dobby is much more eloquent in the book. Than he, than I remember him being like, and that he is in the movie. Mm. That whole, um, so like thinking of we find out more about house elves, his whole speech about what life was like for house elves before Harry yeah. defeated, mm -hmm. you know, who he must not be named, whatever Dobie calls him. I was reading it, I was like, oh my god, Dobie, this is like a beautiful, like, soapbox speech. Like, you go, boy. But, um, yeah. He's got a shockingly, like, artistic, almost, view of the world. Yeah. Where he just observes it and kind of, uh, idealizes it, maybe, maybe, in a way? that's why he's so sad in this book, because that is what I always think of Dobie as, is this, like, beautiful soul who just, like, sees all the good in the world, and that... He just is so casual about all of his punishment and pain. And this is the first time he uses the word enslavement. Like I think he uses the actual word enslavement. He does. I can't remember. I can't remember if he, he used is, it in the yeah. in the bedroom or not. But um, yeah, it's just uh, you get a real good glimpse into Dobby and the life of house elves generally, and then his specifically. Yeah. Um, and then you also find out. That he's kind of done some things. <laughs> um, so he's... He didn't mean to kill. Never <laughs> kill. Yes. <laughs> Only grievously injure. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's start with... The, so he finds out that he caused the rogue bludger. Harry finds out that Dobby was manipulating the bludger. Which... I get that you're not meaning to kill Harry there and you're meaning to like break his arm or yeah. give him a concussion or whatever. But if you knock him off his broom and no one like catches him, if he falls like a hundred feet, like he could die. If he falls 15 feet just on his head, he could die. So I get your intent, but it might not end with that, with that result. Well, and I think he like, that would have to be his goal level of injury because the whole goal was injured enough to be sent home. Right. He's familiar enough with magic. He has to know how easy it would be for the school nurse to heal a broken arm and, like, certain other maladies. So, like, he clearly was aiming for, like, a really fall. bad yeah. injury. Really, really bad. Yeah. yeah. 
So. But we still love him. It's all in the name of He did it for him. good reasons. Good reasons. Um, Isn't that, like, doesn't he kind of remind you of Hagrid? Kind of like that. Like, his whole, like, you know, the purest yeah. of intentions. Not always the best follow through. <laughs> giving that's away fair. a lot more than he means to. That's <laughs> very fair. Um, we also find out that he blocked the passage uh, to Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Which we've talked about in some of the spoiler sections about how powerful he has to be to pull that off. Yeah. And we don't necessarily know where he's at. Is he at King's Cross? Presumably? I think he did say. Or at least there was some line in there that made me surmise that he was there. Actually at present Cross at King's Cross them, doing it. Yeah. Um But yeah, it that has gotta be some top level magic to pull off not just closing the barrier but i'm sure as we've talked about people would try to get in or out specifically out i guess at this point but there's witches and wizards that are fully capable trying to get out that i'm sure tried and were stumped so he's gotta be pretty darn powerful yeah um which I guess makes his enslavement that much more uh, heartbreaking or, um, I don't know. It just kind of puts it into a, a context, I guess. I guess it seems wasteful. Like, he's so powerful. What more could he be doing for the entire world? And instead he's being kept... Making bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being thrown across, kicked across rooms for the pleasure of evil people. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting conversation that happens in the hospital wing uh, that kind of just gives you a lot of insight. I mean, really, he drops a lot of knowledge on you mm-hmm. in this relatively brief conversation that they have before uh, they're interrupted by uh, Dumbledore coming in in his nightgown, is like woolen. <laughs> Yes. On his way to get some hot chocolate. Yep. Because that's what Dumbledore <laughs> the does. The life Dumbledore leads at Hogwarts. It's, uh... I just want him one time to be called to the ministry in, like, an urgent matter, and he just <laughs> he just goes, but he's also in the woolen, like... <laughs> the woolen nightwear with his hot chocolate in yes. hand, and just, yes. like, yep. It's like, what do you guys want now? I was having me time. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, so he comes in with uh, McGonagall, and Pomfrey comes rushing in, and we find that there has been another victim. And this time it is Colin Creevy, who is uh, stiff as a statue. And they had the great thought of, well, he probably got a picture of his attacker. Except it was completely melted. Yeah, that was wild. Which is an interesting form of magic. Yeah. But also, didn't you kind of have a moment, too, where you're, like, reading Dumbledore popped open the camera and you're kind of like, idiot, you just exposed the film. That's true. I'm not sure how well-versed he is in muggle. So, like, was the film actually melted? 
Or did Dumbledore just ruin it? And none of the magical people know. Maybe he opened it, ruined it, saw that he <laughs> ruined it. And it <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh shoot. <laughs> like, real quick. Nuts. Oh, that's amazing. Maybe. Maybe that's the key. <laughs> we figured him out. Anyway. Uh, but Dumbledore then comes with the very ominous two lines of the chamber has indeed been opened uh, which throws McGonagall for a loop and then she comes back with the question of well who could that be and he's and he comes back with I think the correct question of who cares about who how that's the real question because if I know how I could probably stop this I just don't know how well I think that also speaks to you know we know now from Joby the chamber has previously been opened. Did Dumbledore already have suspicions, you know, that the chamber wasn't dealt with? And we talked a lot about that in the last episode, Dumbledore and the Chamber of Secrets. But um, does he have suspicions of who it was last time? And it's not, he's not concerned about who, he knows who. He's more concerned about how said person is doing it. Mm -hmm. That's how I read the how. Yeah, no, it's a it's a poignant question that he has, and it's one of J.K.'s great ending a chapter yeah. on a big well, like, cliffhanger type thing. Well, particularly with Dumbledore, it's just one more example of like Dumbledore kind of like giving you sprinkles, and you know he knows more, but he's not going to go there. And like, do you ever think that's frustrating for McGonagall? Well, I was just going to say. How much of that is on McGonagall? Does she ever push him? Like, I'm sure it frustrates her, but does she ever push him and say, hey, I am your right-hand woman. I think I deserve to know more. Will you tell me more? And, like, does she behind closed doors? And he says no. Has she given up? Or does she just have him on that pedestal that she doesn't even... I want to answer that in spoilers. Okay. Um... <laughs> But to answer it in the non-spoiler for those who haven't read through and still want an answer to that question, <laughs> um, I think she has, and I think you see it from book one, chapter one, she has an implicit yeah. trust, mm -hmm. an unwavering trust in him because... So many people do. So many people do because of his greatness and what he's, you know, done and what he's doing and everything that he's contributed, which is substantial. But... Putting complete trust and not questioning can lead to some questionable things being done. Humans on <laughs> so, pedestals is just never a good thing. Usually not. Yeah. Usually not. On that note, <laughs> we will stop here and then we will head over to the spoiler section and we'll probably pick up with that right, right, right off the bat. We'll be right back. All right, so we are back from break, and we wanted to pick up on that Dumbledore-McGonagall kind of conversation that we were having in the non-spoiler. And my thought about it was, or at least the thought that I want to pose to you and get your thoughts on, okay. is obviously Dumbledore and Snape have this connection. They're bound to each other. You know, Dumbledore essentially recruiting him as a spy. Using that guilt. Right. Yeah. Um, so they're essentially connected in this battle against Voldy. 
Um, so that being said, Dumbledore knows stuff about Snape that no one else knows. Uh, Snape knows some stuff about Dumbledore that I'm sure Dumbledore wouldn't exactly love to just advertise. Does Snape really know anything yet? Yet, maybe not. But I mean, yeah. through the course of the series, things, like, are, who, yeah. things are happening where Snape, we talked about, shouldn't McGonagall question some things? Yeah. Snape does question some things. True. And, and is like, True. Snape's never, hey, he doesn't have Dumbledore up on the pedestal. No. Yeah. He's like, hey, uh, well, I mean, he does to an extent. He's like, you are really great and you're amazing, but this seems like an odd choice. Yeah. This, why are you doing this this way? Um, they have that kind of relationship. So I guess my point is, is it weird, or do you think McGonagall ever picks up on it, that while McGonagall is his right-hand woman, she might not be his actual right hand because that is Snape. Snape Whenever yeah. he needs something done and he knows he needs it done, it's Snape, not her. I think McGonagall picks up on Snape being the right hand when it's like big, worldly, Voldemort-related things. So, like, I think she would be picking up on stuff like that more in the years to come. Like, Order of the Phoenix, when we're trying to get word out that Voldemort is back. I think as far as Hogwarts business and the students, yes, I think Dumbledore would go to McGonagall for student-related things over Snape every time. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So that's why I don't understand McGonagall. In my mind, McGonagall is this, her most passionate thing is the defense of her students. You know, that's why she leads so boldly in the Battle of Hogwarts. That's why she, you know, helps Peeves unscrew the chandelier against Umbridge. Like, she's there for the students. So I guess, in my mind, and maybe this says more about me than it does McGonagall, I imagine her pushing back on Dumbledore when it involves her students being petrified. So I'm disappointed in her that she's not. And I don't like being disappointed in Minnie. Yeah, and I think it's just her deferring to Dumbledore's greatness. Like, she trusts in, like, he is the best of us. So if he's confused, or if he's, or he has yeah, his reasons, quote-unquote. Could quote, she unquote. have helped him if she had pushed him for answers? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like we just had an entire conversation how, like, he's not perfect. Yes, mm -hmm. he's great and powerful and everything and I would probably trust him just as much as McGonagall does but could he have been even better if she had questions like Snape does I would go further and I think he for the for the most part he has a very talented staff yeah um and you could make the argument that he reaches out to if if he were to reach out to some of his other talented smart brilliant staff a lot of other problems would maybe not be as big of a problem. Yeah. And they, I, I feel like they step into their own light in the seventh book when they're like, no, 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 no. This is our school. Yeah. We're protecting our school. And then they show what they can do. Yeah. 
Whereas until that moment, they all, even though they're all great in their own right, were safe because him. Yeah. So, and it's not until they have to that they show what they can do. Yeah. So it's an interesting kind of dynamic. And it speaks to the presence of Dumbledore that all of these great witches and wizards, and not just at the school, like in the ministry yeah, and across everywhere. everywhere, defers to him and kind of like... Even Grindelwald. Yeah. It's like if, well, if you think this is right, I mean, it's probably right because how often are you wrong? Yeah. Not that much. So it's like, it's an interesting kind of dynamic, I think. Especially between the three of them, because they are so intertwined. Yeah. The leadership when things are unquote. happening, it's always the three of them. Well done. Well phrased. <laughs> but yes, it is. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of another time where Dumbledore uses another member of his staff as, like, support. And the only thing I could really ever think of is Slughorn. And that's mm-hmm. not... Nec- I mean... He does bring him in because he is a talented potions master, yes. Yeah. But he's also using him for other purposes. <laughs> he has respect for Horus. Yeah. Um, which also says a lot about Horus, if Dumbledore has like an innate respect for someone. Mm-hmm. Which, again, when Dumbledore's away, right, we... Slughorn steps up to the plate. So it's like... Um, so it's, it, it's interesting. Um... But anyway, I digress. Since we're on the subject of teachers, moving to a different, <laughs> a very different conversation. I just said very he has different a, teachers. He has a very talented and wonderful staff. Sometimes. Except, yeah, for most of the time. Uh, these two, however, were not under that category. So I pose the question to you. Who is the worst teacher? Lockhart or Umbridge? Umbridge. I think I know why you're about to say what you're about to say, but say it for the for the record. So I I feel very strongly she's the worst teacher because she. Can I qualify it in just one before you get into your thing? Can I just qualify it one way? Sure. Torture aside. Yeah. <laughs> torture not, aside. To do with literally torture. just teaching in the classroom yeah, no, doesn't even have anything to do with torture. Okay. Good. All right. Great. So. Umbridge is worse because she's not just a bad teacher, she actively sets out to, what's the word I want to use, withhold knowledge to, she, she doesn't just she's full on book teach burning badly, like, yeah. yeah, she just like actively wants to suppress education. Like, Lockhart is an idiot. <laughs> That's why he's a bad teacher. But if a student wants to learn, he still actually gives them material. Like the um Does he though? And that's, he does, and that's no, my stop. Point. The homorphous charm. Perfect example. A student like Hermione, or even, you know, a lesser student who still wants to learn, hears a charm like that and put aside the dramatics of holding him down with one arm and the fangs and the village being saved. Okay, that sounds like a charm that could be useful. That's important in Defense Against Arm. I should go learn about that charm. Like, 
at the end of the day, we find out the things that are in Lockhart's books are actually amazing things that could probably provide knowledge if the student takes it upon themselves. They could still learn. But Ombridge, if a student took it upon themselves to learn, she would seek out to stop that student from that happening. That's terrible. It's like you said, like book burning. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that is the perfect Umbridge side of the equation. And it is what it is. You're, you're right, and uh, I can't argue against that, nor will I try. <laughs> what I will do is uh, kind of present the Lockhart side of things. And um, your statement for Lockhart, while true, like, that's great that Hermione might hear something and be like, huh, I should probably, like, look into that a little bit more. You think Ron is going to look into that more? You think Seamus is going to look into that more? They're not. They're not. <laughs> You know, Michael Corner is not going to look into that. Eventually, cheat <laughs> like, somebody who looked into that and then makes them listen to her talk about it. My point is, it's like while he wasn't trying to suppress knowledge, he definitely wasn't. Okay, but even through that reenactment, they find out, hey, there's some sort of way to stop a werewolf, if I'm ever so inclined. And I know we've talked about Lockhart and his stealing knowledge and stealing moments in history of other witches and wizards. Also, though, would you put it past him to just blatantly flat out lie and just be like, write a whole book about nothing? Like the Wagga Wagga werewolf. Where the hell is Wagga Wagga? It doesn't exist. Why? Because he doesn't want it to exist because it's not a real story. Maybe Wagga Wagga was the the name of the werewolf. Maybe it wasn't the name of the village. Maybe the person who turned into the werewolf was named Wagga Wagga. You're giving Wagga. him a lot of credit. <laughs> but, again, like, he's... I'm not saying he didn't because he obviously has a talent, particular talent for erasing things for memory but he could also just create Mm -hmm. stories he's a say what you will about him he's a showman he's a storyteller yeah like he can just make up stuff and half of this stuff does sound completely made up yeah no you're right and especially like in the classroom in writing on the wall when he's just like naming off all those different things those are all just clearly lies so i guess my point to you is if suppressing knowledge is a horrible thing, making stuff up completely and presenting it as fact also egregiously bad. Yeah. Just in a different, just a different light. It's the same thing, kind of. And it but could different. really be as detrimental and evil. Yes. As what Umbridge does. Yes. It's just being done by Lockhart, so it's kind of. Well, I won't call it harmless because of what he did to all of those hero people that he stole that from. But as far as the students go, it's harmless. Like, he's not teaching them evil lies. I think the saving grace for that argument is that most of the students see through it and assume it's either blatantly false or ridiculous. I guess what I mean is he's not lying. He's not, like, making up lies about his type of person being better than another type of person. Sure. Yeah. No, so that's I, I, why I think you're right. those were the types of lies he was teaching, I guess it's it just, might be a completely different conversation about who's worse, him or Umbridge. I guess it's just like, 
the principle behind it is like if you tell one lie and presenting it as fact, why can't you tell another? Yeah. And why can't you tell another? And then it's lucky that these most of these kids see through it. How for, sad is it that Hermione doesn't? Sad, honestly. It is. I know. But imagine if they didn't. Yeah. Imagine if they all bought it hook, line, and sinker. That could be a problem. So it's... No one is saying on this podcast that Lockhart, as bad as he is, and some of the bad qualities that he has, is anywhere near the level of abhorrent evil that Umbridge is. That's a whole other level, and we can have whole conversations about who is the most evil character, her or Voldy, and it would be a real honest-to-God debate. And I wouldn't be mad if the result of the debate was Umbridge. I I would argue the side of Umbridge. I wouldn't really yeah. argue a whole lot with you. I would because, you know, it's a podcast and I right. have to. But, I mean, <laughs> you know. Uh, and that's what I'm doing in this conversation right now with right. Lockhart and Umbridge. But uh, I guess my point is just that uh, both of their lack of commitment to true... Earnest education is a detriment that some of these kids can never get back, really. Yeah. Neither of them should be teachers. Yeah. And I, I think that's You're the right. It's like we see the Gryffindors in Lockhart's class who all see through him and think he's ridiculous. What does he do to, like, the Slytherins who would be open, or I guess not just a Slytherin, but any... House person. Well, we see Justin Finch Fleshley starstruck by him a little bit. But who would be open to lying for fame? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, they're going to take what he's showing them and run with it. Then we got more people stealing other people's glory. We're almost lucky that he's taking a shining to Harry and not a Slytherin that might be like, these lessons are really interesting. Yeah. Maybe not because of what he thinks they are, but because of what I can do with it. Yeah. For sure. And that happens every day in real life. Yeah. So it's an interesting conversation to have. I know people look at that question on paper and be like, Hawker, what are you talking about? There's a conversation to be had, at least. We just um, had it. When we just had it. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're running long on time on this episode, but we do need to tackle the... Ever-present question, I think, mm-hmm. at least in this book, of... Particularly this book, yeah. Lucius Malfoy. And what role does he really have in the grand scheme of things? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we get this wonderful um, monologue and back and forth between Dobby and, and Harry. And Dobby's unloading a lot of information, and you might wonder, where are you getting that from? Well, and it's clear he's unloading a lot of information, but it's clear he has a lot more that he's not unloading. Yes. That he can't unload. Yes. Yeah. So, and obviously the question, it's not the question of who, because we know who and where it's coming from. It's then a question of, well, if Dobby knows that, then that means Lucius knows this, which means that, yeah. So, So where is Lucius getting that? Back to, I believe, it was Molly's point uh, when we had our big group Mm -hmm. discussion um, that maybe he dabbled with the diary himself and wrote in it. Yeah. Which is a very intriguing 
concept that I never thought of before. Yeah, I had never thought of that before either. And then if that's so, what were those conversations like? Uh, was it Riddle just being like, well, this guy's an idiot. How can I get my diary out of his hands quickly? Or was it more sinister and being like, okay, if this is one of my followers and one of my right-hand men at that time, let him do my work still. Well, and you phrasing it that way begs the question of, does Riddle's consciousness in the diary... Does he, how much knowledge of, like, current Voldemort does he really have? Like, does he know that he wouldn't just take Lucius at his word that he's, like, the right-hand man of himself in, like, future? Well, that's a, that's a soul question of, like, is the soul cut and separate? Right. Or is it still part of a collective soul that's still cognizant of everything else going on? Well, and I guess it also leads to the question of how much do you believe in Molly's theory that Lucius wrote in it, and that's where he got all the information. Or how much did Voldemort tell Lucius when he gave him the diary? Because Voldemort obviously gave him the diary. Lucius didn't just... That's true. I guess everybody's banking on the theory, like, all these theories that I've heard for years and years and years being a Harry Potter fan. And I guess the predominant, now that I'm thinking about it, the predominant argument is, oh, he must have been an idiot and he must not have known about it because he so flippantly shed it. But he clearly didn't flippantly shed it. I agree. Because he kept it for how many years? 12 years. I agree. And he just found the, like a proper opportunity for it. Um, so I guess I disagree with that it was kind of like the uh the bins dying thing that we had in mm-hmm. the last episode it's like everybody assumes this right. truth dig into the truth a little bit more is it actually truth or is it just a bunch of hearsay of people saying stuff well i guess i've felt sort of strongly about i guess i've always thought lucius had at least a little bit of knowledge, I didn't realize how singular I was in thinking that Lucius did indeed know that the diary was a roadmap of sorts to opening the Chamber of Secrets. I've I've always kind of thought that, and I've always kind of thought that he wanted to get it back to, he wanted to get rid of it, but he also wanted to get it back to Hogwarts because he knew it was an instruction manual to open up the chamber. And so I was starting to feel kind of crazy and like, did I just make this up in my head? But, like, it clearly, I went to Half-Blood Prince and was reading that, and Dumbledore clearly states and calls it an instruction manual on how to open up the Chamber of Secrets. So I just, I don't, I don't know why I feel so... I feel really sure that Lucius knew. Not all the details, definitely not that it was a Horcrux, but I just feel really sure that... Lucius knew it was going to open up the Chamber of Secrets and unleash a whole lot of evil at Hogwarts. Release a monster that will target muggle-born children. People that he thinks need to be targeted. And I guess that's why, because, like, in the beginning, Lucius wasn't an idiot. Like, yes, Lucius had this big fall from grace. But that wasn't... There was a reason why he was higher up on the... Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the reasons of his fall from grace. Is right. 
Exactly. The the outcome he that ends up happening. He didn't successfully use the diary. And then got a part of the soul district. Which, again, I agree with you. I don't think he knew that. Yeah, definitely not. Nobody knew anything about that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that Voldy was like, okay, I'm going to make this thing part of, like, I'm going to put part of my soul in this random object that will someday end up in the hands of some 11-year-old girl. <laughs> With a crash. Yeah, it's like, I don't think that was his intention. I'm no. like, if these are the instructions to open the chamber, yeah. I want it in one of my followers' hands who will go about it. Or yeah. when there's an opportunity to go about it. I guess, and when he's in power, so that he can make use of the Basilisk being unleashed at Hogwarts. Yeah. It's... And how openly is he talking about this in his home? Lucius, you mean? Yeah. Draco obviously knows nothing. True. But yeah. Narcissa, talking about right-hand women of men, Narcissa is the strong backbone Absolutely. of that family. Yeah. And, let's be real, she's well-connected herself. Yeah. Um... Speaking of strong right-handed women, Bellatrix being the strong right-handed woman of Voldy, and it all connects <laughs> because pure bloods. So it all connects. Um, so uh, Narcissa's got to be well aware of the situation. And, Agreed. And is that all? Like a part of me thinks that's where Dobie learns all of this. Is he hears Lucius and Narcissa talking? Between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And now is Joby supposed to be hearing it? Are they just casually talking in front of him because they're not worried about him? That, I feel like, is could be a question. How secret agent is Joby? Well, I, that question, there's a lot to that question. <laughs> which we get into a lot more later in the books. Uh, but it's such a great answer to that question. Um, that Sirius brings up at times, Dumbledore brings up at times, yeah. uh, Voldy never brings up, and that's a problem. Mm. And it's it's one of... The answer to your question that you just had is one of maybe the greatest story elements, I think. And one of the greatest themes of these seven books, in my opinion. And that's a teaser. Woohoo, yeah. That we'll get to somewhere down the road in like book five or book six or seven or wherever. But in the meantime, I think that should wrap us up. Please let us know what your thoughts are on Twitter and Instagram. Hit us up, follow us, and you can follow me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Allen 44. Same handle for Twitter. And you can catch Anna on all of the social medias. Uh, and she does a great job on the Instagram, so... Please follow just to see her great work. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.